Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome back to the show. She is a, uh, oh, let me get her full title here. Hold on. I want to be appropriate. Board certified preventive medicine and public health physician. She's also the author of Letters to My People, inspirational essays and poems and affirmations. We're going to tweet that out. Let me welcome back to the show, Dr. Chris T. Purnell. It's so good to be back with you all. Yay. You're looking bright and cheery. How 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 are things? How's your health? How how is your family? You know, things are good. Um, I'm excited. I'm about to turn 46. Right. <laughs> so when? let's celebrate that <laughs> in the next like 10 days. Yes. Um, and um, I'm just really happy because you know I have a sense of hope that we are going to be better. We're not there yet, but better as a nation, just because I think there's a lot of people who are hungry for change. I think there are a lot of people raising the righteous ruckus um, and we're always vigilant and on guard. Okay. Well, I remember we had Lena Wynn on today and she was like constantly on my TV screen during the height. Yeah. I remember her being pregnant. I was like, how's she going to have a baby? Uh, We Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about that. And I remember your journey during the height of COVID. And as we're learning more, you were in that trial, the Moderna trial, which, you know, I called you right before I was like, should I get the Moderna? Like, what what do I need to know? Um, And I did that. And so now there's the booster. And I'm like, is it going to be a booster every year? Like, mm-hmm. and we're learning, we're learning more. Like I, I have never taken a flu shot because I've never had the flu. And I'm like, I stay away from people and I spray folk with disinfectant when they come in my space, but this ain't that right. So I can't this do the same that. thing that I did to not get the flu. So I'm, I'm, I guess I got to get a booster. What are you, did you get your booster? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So the first person um, that what it was most important to get boosted in my circle was my aunt. Um, my twin aunts just turned 84. Um, they are my mother's legacy still here in the earth. Um, and so it was really important for me for them to get their booster because what we know from the available data, from real world data, um, and from what we know about people's immune systems, the older you are, the less robust your immune system is, meaning it wanes with age. So if there's going to be a group of people who are susceptible to what we've been calling breakthrough infections, it's going to be the older population especially those um, over 85. Anyone above 65, some data says anyone above 60 is going to have a higher risk because their immune system is not as strong. Then if you also have, let's say, a chronic health condition, especially a chronic health condition, which weakens your immune system, you're going to be at risk. So you should get a booster. Now, if you are so severely weakened in your immune system that you didn't get an appropriate response, it's really a third dose for you. It's not a booster. So I got my aunt taken care of. Then I got my booster as part of the study. This is a part of the Moderna COVID-19 um, vaccine trial that I'm enrolled in, looking to see um, and test antibody levels and whether or not it, it is just as effective at preventing severe disease. And I think if you fall in a high-risk category, you should be boosted. Um, as far as the whole and general population, my goal is still getting those unvaccinated vaccinated. Because mm, we're only at 58%. 
only. I think today, like I try to check here and now. I stopped checking every day because the number does not move fast enough. And the last I checked, I think we're at 58.5% of the population that's fully vaccinated. And as long as we have that many Americans who are unvaccinated, there is the potential for this pendulum to swing in the other direction. And we were looking to get to herd immunity, which was what, 75%, 70 to 80%. I I really want to manage people's expectation and understanding around that. Right. So I like the term population immunity or community immunity, right? Community immunity. Yeah. People can understand that better than herd, right? We're we're not cattle, but Um, it's hmm, talking about a critical mass, the critical percentage or amount of the population that is protected from a particular um, infection, thereby the infection cannot spread as easily because there aren't available hosts to use that word. And so there was a debate around where was herd immunity or population or community immunity? Was it at 70%? Was it at 75? Was it as high as 85? Especially when Delta came on the scene, right? More contagious, more lethal. Um, And a lot of people have stepped away from that, myself included, not looking for a magical percentage, just looking for a critical mass. And we will know we have hit a critical mass when we have so outpaced the virus, okay? So outpaced it that riskier situations don't lead to surges. And we're coming up on a potentially risky situation winter. People go indoors and that's how they get exposed. All right. Um, There's been a lot of talk, you know, Kyrie Irving, Aaron Mm. Rodgers, Lena Wynn actually dealt with this on CNN today. She was talking about it, you know, and there's a lot of inf- information. I'm putting up air quotes with people doing their own research. Yeah. Um, and you literally were in a trial, which, you yeah. know, when I hear a lot of people who don't want to get it or who are not going to get it. And, and, you know, there could be reasons why if you have health, cause you know, health issues that would make the vaccine harm you then, but that's a doctor and you conversation. That's not, I'm going to go to YouTube or talk to Nicki Minaj's cousin's left testicle. As we are, you know, processing this, you entered a trial, which I don't, I don't want to use the word again, because, it, you know, why would you put your body up for, mm. you know, if all the people, I don't know what's in it. I don't want to, you know, you literally yeah. volunteered to be tested, to be studied uh, t- with a virus that we didn't know anything about with vaccines that we're still learning, you know, what they're going to do and, you know, what, what made that decision easy for you, Christy, mm-hmm. for now? The largest factor in that decision for me was community love, was family love. If anybody was going to do it, I wanted it to be me. And I can express that in just saying I understand the science and I also saw firsthand the devastation. So that's why I felt like I was an appropriate person to do it. I understood the science. I understood the questions to ask. I understood what to look for in the available data. Um, I understood how racism has impacted and stained the American healthcare experience in in particular around clinical research. And so I knew what red flags that I wanted to make sure were not being perpetuated. And I lost my dad. My sister was sick. Then I ended up losing two cousins. But by the time I enrolled, I hadn't lost my two cousins. Losing my dad, the way that I lost him 
my sister being sick and seeing it up close and personal working in a hospital, I knew we needed a solution. There was otherwise so many people have said, and this is where people are, are missing it and losing sight of just how deadly this pandemic is. They're like, oh, a large percentage of people who get exposed don't die. But 750,000 people plus are dead. That is abnormal. And so we had seen so much death that I knew the only way for us to get to a point where we didn't have a mu 1 million, because if we hadn't had a vaccine, easily, we would, I believe we would have had a million plus people dead because there are um, legitimate conversations around 750,000 plus being a, a depressed number. That's not very accurate. So I knew we, that's, there was no hope if people were not willing to go through the trial. And knowing the science and loving my people, I knew I was the right person to do it. 866-801-8255. So as you, um, being in it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of concern about side effects and, right. you know, what, what's, you know, Aaron Rodgers fertility. I want to have children. Right. You know, we've talked about this before. Um, Nicki Minaj's cousins, text, testicles swollen, mm -hmm. uh, friends, cousins. Testicle, and I'm not making fun. Kyrie Irving, you know, I don't know. You know, it's my body. I, sh you know, I'm healthy. I should, you know, and and the majority of people who've gotten COVID. So this is the other issue. They they re they recover, right? So then you have people who like I I nothing happened to me. You know, I just I lost my sense of taste. Nothing happened. You know, so you have these anecdotal stories, which makes it even harder to convince somebody go get a vaccine. Uh, because the majority, I know so many people that got it and nothing happened to them. How do you wish we had talked about this? Wow. I wish that we didn't talk about it from an individual perspective, but from a community and population perspective. And let me tell you what I mean by that. So yeah, you got it, but you didn't have a severe or, you know, one of the more worse outcomes. But the fact that you had it increases the chance that you could spread it or did spread it to someone else. And you had no way to predict whether that person would be able to say, oh, I only got a small infection, right? And because we can't predict that and we can't predict with accuracy who's gonna have long COVID, how long long COVID is going to last, we have to do what is in the best of the whole in the group. So me getting vaccinated really protects other people in my circle. And those persons in my circle getting vaccinated protects people in their circle. And it perpetuates, it grows um, exponentially. If we didn't do that, Karen, if we didn't lose sight of individual risk and individual experiences, we would have seen more massive amounts of death. And Dr. Cameron Jones, I don't know if you know her personally or follow her work, but this woman is a pantheon in public health. All of us talking about anti-racism, talking about health equity, we stand on her shoulders. And I was on a call with her. I was on a call with her. Um, and she said, you know, we're all doing it wrong when we talk about this family lost this person. She was like, no, the nation lost your father. The entire nation lost him not just you. Mm -hmm. And the more that we think about things in the individual realm or through an individual lens, we really don't solve big problems, whether we're talking about racism or a pandemic. It's true. And so that's why I think we went wrong. We talked about it too much from an individual perspective. We have to talk about it from a community and a population perspective. And then we just have to be more simple. 
and what we tell people and how we explain it to people. Public health needs to do a better job of communicating. Yeah, I felt like from the mask wearing, which to me seemed like such a simple thing to require people to do, why would you stop them from doing it? Because at the very least, error on the side of caution, you know, oh, no, you don't have to wear it anymore if people are vaccinated. And I was like, but if you can still carry, that makes no sense. Like, but so every little bit of that undermines, right? Because you expect yeah. the medical professionals to be smart. So that was stupid to me. Stop. Why would you tell people that they don't need masks if, two people, if, the, if everyone's vaccinated? Because you can still spread it. I mean, ask Colin Powell. Just because you're yeah. vaccinated doesn't protect you. Just because right. you're vaccinated doesn't let's, let's stay there for a second. Let's stay there for a second. Because Colin Powell, the general, is a good example. He is a man who was older in age, Okay. He is also a man that had a condition, a, a cancer that weakened his immune system as well as having Parkinson. So his body never mounted a full response to the first two doses. And because of a person like that, whose body cannot mount a full response to the first two doses, you wearing a mask or you getting vaccinated if you're in his circle, in his vicinity, in his public, if y'all breathe the same air, you're protecting him too. And that's the example I want to use. And the last thing I want to say is I was thinking about secondhand smoke. So I grew up with my father who was a smoker, right? Smoking is hard to kick. I mean, my dad would stop for years. He had hypnosis, everything. My father had very severe emphysema. Um, And so we knew by the time I was a kid in the late 70s and early 80s, that you probably shouldn't smoke in the house. So his thinking was, okay, I'll just smoke in the bathroom. But we know so much about secondhand smoke now that smoking in the bathroom did nothing to protect me. Nothing. I had bronchitis every fall through the winter from my, <laughs> from my primary school age all the way through to now. I just had, I just got sick in July and didn't stop coughing until a month ago. Okay. That's the lingering impact of being raised around a smoker. Now think about it from the pandemic. Asking people not to smoke around other people is like asking people to wear a mask. It's the same thing because of secondhand air, the air that you breathe, if it's infected, Coronavirus is airborne, and that was one of our critical mistakes. We hesitated at the data, even when the data began to suggest that coronavirus was airborne. Not enough public health officials and not enough governmental officials said clearly and emphatically, look, this thing is airborne. They didn't want to scare people. I watched a documentary of that cruise ship, where Ground Zero cruise ship in Japan. Mm -hmm. They knew on that cruise ship it was airborne. We're all, just about everybody on that cruise ship died. They knew on that cruise ship it was airborne back in January. They didn't want to see, don't want to see, we don't want public panic. We don't want a public, like, really? Like, so, so, so we have a couple of things right now with public relations getting in the way of like news and in a media that is bent on algorithms and clicks that want the sensational, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, story. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're operating in two different worlds and it's, and it's for the average person. We don't know what to believe or who to believe or who to trust. And it's like, you know, I rock with you because I'm like, okay, I rock with Christy Purnell because I'm studying her background. I know she's not going to come on here and talk crazy and say dumb stuff. Um, and she cares, but you know, Fauci, I don't know, you know, so it's like all it becomes a personality thing. 
And at the end, people would rather not do something, <laughs> especially if I'm not, I haven't gotten sick. So it's working for me. I'm taking my CMOS and I'm drinking my juices every day and I'm working out. I, I don't know how we get out of this. And, you know, you're right. The winter, winter is coming. And, you know, there's going to be other variants. Is there an yeah. end to this? Is there an end? Um, the, the end to it is not necessarily. So there were a couple of countries that were looking for a COVID zero strategy or hoping to achieve a COVID zero strategy, Australia, New Zealand, meaning that COVID cases would get down to zero and they would kill it, stamp it out. It would never be heard from again. It doesn't operate that way. I think uh, coronavirus is going to always be with us. It won't always be a pandemic. We will, as a society, and this is going to be hard for people to hear, but we will, as a society, determine what is an allowable amount of deaths. People die from the flu every year. Every I've never, year. I don't know anybody that's ever died from the flu. Yeah. And it's not pandemic level, but people are dying from the flu. They're not dying from the flu in anywhere near the numbers that we have experienced with coronavirus. But we come to expect that it's seasonal, um, that you're gonna be at higher risk at the two different end spectrums of age, very young and very old. Um, and so when we have what some call endemic in the epidemiological space, endemic levels of um, coronavirus, meaning it is, it is within a seasonal pattern, um, we know we understand its community prevalence. We understand the, the rhythm or the periodic nature of the community prevalence. We have tools to prevent it as well as tools to treat it. I think that's the future state. But right now we still have far too many people dying every day. And right now we have still have far too many new cases every day. Those numbers have dramatically improved but they are not um, to the sense where we can relax, right? T take our, our feet off of the gas pedal. Like for instance, um, I was telling people as long as, uh, and I wanted to check the CDC's website, as of November 9th, 1,561 people died. I wanna emphasize that for people. That's not normal. That's not normal. That doesn't happen with the flu. Um, and so that's how I want people to judge it. When, when we get to the point where um, less than 500 people, less than 200 people, less than 100 people are dying daily. And then when we get to the point where we have days of no death and we can begin to predict the seasonality of it, um, that's when we'll be approaching you know, an endemic phase. Okay. Uh, Christy Purnell is here. You have all the people who had questions. Um, I guess you don't have any, and that's fine. Uh, this is a good opportunity to talk to somebody who's actually in this space. Christy Purnell, Dr. Dr. Chris MD is where you can follow her. You said the uh, booster operates as a third dose for some people. What's the difference yes. between a booster and a third dose? And after the third dose, will you need a booster? Um, after the booster, will there be another booster? Another booster. Be a booster? <laughs> every year? Cause I'm, okay, I'm, very, very, very good question. So I'm gonna use myself and I'm gonna use um, General Colin Powell. For General Colin Powell, because he had a history of cancer, that third dose was not to give his immune system an additional kick. It would be to help his immune system perform at the equivalent level that my immune system performed. 
So out of two doses for me, because yeah, I have a chronic health condition, but I don't have a severely weakened immune system. Okay. And because my, my immune system is strong enough, it produced the appropriate response to two doses. So in me, it's a booster, but in someone who has such a weakened immune system that two doses do not produce an appropriate response, the next dose is a third dose. It's not really boosting. It's really helping you to achieve the baseline level of protection that uh, someone else had. Is there now, will we need to do that again? I don't think any of us know that with any certainty. Mm -hmm. So you know my rule, I'm not gonna tell you anything with right. confidence if I don't know it. I don't think any of us know that with certainty. And the last thing that I would say about that, and remember what the booster does versus what the third dose does. Now for me, the booster is putting me in a stronger state so that I don't have any symptomatic infection, mild or moderate. Without the booster, the vaccine is holding up against preventing severe disease but the booster also restores the vaccine's ability to prevent mild and moderate disease. And you say, what's the big whoop about that? The, the important thing about that is that if anybody gets COVID, you can be exposed to long COVID. And if anybody gets COVID, you can expose someone else. So that's the science. Have you had COVID during this? Uh, you know, I haven't. And I thought I did at one point. I was certain I had COVID. Um, and it's, it's, it's the way life works. My father and I were sick at the same time. Mm. I remember one of the last conversations I had with my father. He was like, oh, he, my family calls me boo, right? And he was like, boo, I hope you don't have this thing. I hope you don't have this thing. Um, and so we were waiting for his test results and waiting for my test results at the same time. And, you know, I was like, I don't want to have this. But I don't want my father to have it because I knew everything that he was fighting against. And he was in a hospital and he was in a hospital at a time that was like war on top of war on top of war. Um, and so I think he got his results a matter of days ahead of me. And he found out he did have it. And then when I called to tell him I didn't have it, he was just his sigh of relief was huge, huge. He was just like, oh, I'm so thankful you don't have it. I'm just so thankful you don't have it. So, cause you know, I had, all, I had, all, I had the symptoms of it, um, but I just had, cause I always get sick in the winter before this pandemic, I always got sick in the winter. Right. Mm -hmm. In this pandemic, after that one encounter by the end of the winter, March, I was rock solid. I didn't get sick from anything because people were wearing masks. And then I got sick mm -hmm. again in July, but no, I've never had coronavirus. Um, and did your father succumb to coronavirus? To oh, some condition yeah. from it? What condition? <clears throat> so my dad um, had a very <clears throat> typical um, presentation for, I would say an older person has chronic health conditions and then gets coronavirus. So at first, the reason why he had to get tested um, my father would have these episodes where he would go through a spike in his uh, temperature. So he would have a fever, he would get chills and he, he would, his oxygenation levels would drop. It would happen quickly, just like that. And he had to uh, do, you know, he, he didn't need to be resuscitated ever before he got really sick, but he got really, really, really compromised that they were like, we might need to move him to an ICU but then he would stabilize and get back to his baseline. He had about three episodes like that. They would just come on out of nowhere, rapid spike in his temperature, rapid chills, oxygen uh, desaturations, okay? 
And then he would go back to his baseline. At that point, I remember the third time it happened and the doctor said, you know, I have to test him. I said, of course you have to test him. And I was so concerned because I wasn't sure his immune system having HIV, chronic HIV on board, having emphysema on board, having had lymphoma on board, could endure it, right? But this man had lived through everything. He wasn't in the hospital sick. He was in the hospital getting tooled up to go back to rehab to come home. Um, and so after he had that erratic course, then gradually after about seven days, and this is what we see in coronavirus, those first seven days can be unstable, especially if you're already carrying poor health. But then we see this precipitous decline in that seven post day period. And that happened for my father. Um, and so breathing became increasingly difficult every day. And my father probably stopped speaking um, maybe that Friday. My father died on a Monday. That Friday, my father no longer could speak. Um, we, he, they would put the, the phone up to his ear and we would talk to him. That Sunday night, his vitals started to crash. He didn't, he wasn't maintaining a blood pressure. So what's happening is that infection is just like the lungs are becoming over, overflown with infection, right? Just filled with infection. And as that infection is in the lungs, it's a pneumonia that took him. In other patients, my cousin who died from coronavirus, it was most likely the coagulopathies associated with coronavirus. So remember that coronavirus, coronavirus is an inflammatory process. And we have conceived of it as a respiratory illness when in fact, the, as more and more data comes to light, it's more an inflammatory illness, meaning it can produce or evidence symptoms in a respiratory way, or it can produce or evidence symptoms in a neurological way or a cardiovascular way. And so my cousin who had diabetes, type two diabetes and whose doctor, which I will never understand to this day, his doctor was treating him for upper respiratory infection in the middle of a pandemic. Said, oh, you probably have a cold or you have a bad virus, um, take some antibiotics in the middle of a pandemic. My cousin was sick for days, not getting better on antibiotics. Finally goes back to a doctor and is like, something is wrong. I'm not getting better. I'm getting worse. Says, okay, you should get tested. Go out and get tested. My cousin probably spent that last weekend before he died looking for a test in North New Jersey, standing in lines. People were like, he was so sick that he was standing in lines because remember, at that point, tests were not readily available. And ultimately my, father, uh, my cousin was found down at home. He had a catastrophic stroke. And so when he came into the hospital, he came into my hospital where I work. When he came into the hospital, I remember them saying, Frankie is downstairs. And I was like, well, let, let me go. This is my mom's you know, first cousin. I grew up with Frankie. Um, and so I went downstairs and he wasn't, he wasn't alert and oriented. He could not speak. He was somewhat responsive to stimuli. So uh, squeezing your hand, but he was bloated at that point. Um, and maybe my cousin survived for a couple of more days. Um, he could not recover. He had clots in his lungs and he had had the catastrophic um, stroke. And so that's what coronavirus does. And so you can't predict, and this is what I just said to a group of parents at a school in North New Jersey last night. You can't predict. You personally have no way of knowing. My sister, a breast cancer survivor, 
right? So she at baseline is a very risky person. She gets coronavirus. She gets very, very sick at home. And she tells us at one point, you know, she's like, I'm not going, I didn't go to the hospital, but I thought I was going to die. But I didn't want to go to the hospital because I also was afraid. Um, and so I was struggling to breathe. Um, and, you know, I had given her a pulse oximeter. My sister was dropping off things. We we're trying to talk to her on the phone. And sometimes she would tell us, I can't talk anymore. It hurts too much to talk to you. I'm going to text. Um, and so it didn't kill my sister, but it killed my cousin. So you can't predict you have people who have been healthy as I don't know what, who've died from coronavirus. And because you can't predict, do whatever is in your power to protect yourself and to protect your family. That's how I, I, I lay it out for, for people. And we are in a higher risk group. We as black people, um, I tell people it's not normal that I've lost all of those people in my life to coronavirus and my sister was impacted. That's just one family. That's not normal. That's because racism distributes and groups risk differently. More black folks died, more brown folks died, more native and indigenous folks died proportionally because of where they live, where they work and their baseline chronic health conditions. That's why. Community immunity is what we should be uh, striving for and looking out for one another, um, even if it means we do as Chris T. Purnell, not everyone's going to do that, throw yourself literally in the fire to make sure that we know all of the things. Um, uh, children being vaccinated now, uh, I just was talking about Costa Rica, 12 and up, everybody's required. Um, here, state to state, because states' rights still pr pr mm -hmm. predominate, that's not the case. Um, tell us about the cheer and what we need to know, what we know yeah. about Corona. So um, I, I read probably about a month ago and I love the way that the person said it. It's shameful, the number of children that have died in this nation because of coronavirus, because it was preventable. Um, and so that's, that register and that sat on my heart because so many people are talking about, oh, but children don't get impacted in the same way as adults. True, the majority of children don't have the same experience with coronavirus that adults have had. But if you look deeper at the data, we know that um, you know almost 700 children have died. If you look at those in the age group where the vaccine just recently became available, you're talking about anywhere roughly around 170, around 200 have died. If you look at the number of hospitalizations in the age group where the vaccine have just become available, five to 11, you're talking about 8,000 plus um, hospitalizations. If you look at all children who've been impacted, you're talking about almost uh, 2 million positive tests. Um, if you look at the percentage of new cases, children disproportionately represent a percentage of new cases because the coronavirus has fewer people left to infect, okay? So it's preying more on children. So there are about a quarter of new cases in recent data. Um, there are scenarios where children get exposed and then children bring it back to their home. Um, and we know that people in the home of a person who has coronavirus, especially if you live in a crowded, cramped dwelling, are more susceptible to um, actually converting from exposure to infection. So... My family, the kids in my life have, who have been eligible have been vaccinated already, okay? And my niece, she's 10, Kaya, 
she was the last person who hadn't been vaccinated. And she wrote a letter and she said, I wanna write a letter to the world. Um, and she said, I want people who have the opportunity to get vaccinated to please get vaccinated because I don't have that chance. But if I did, I would do it because I lost my papa and I know what it was like to lose my papa. Life isn't the same. We couldn't go to school. We can't play with, I can't play with my friends. She has virtual play dates. And this woman, little woman is like, personality on a thousand, okay? <laughs> and so playing for her is, it looms large. She actually is gonna be airing in the Sesame clip soon. We're just waiting for the air date. Um, and so when Kaya had the opportunity to get vaccinated, she's one of the first children in the state of New Jersey to get vaccinated. She got vaccinated last week and she had the opportunity to get vaccinated. I'm telling you, I cried the night before because I was like, oh my goodness, we are at the point where everybody in my inner circle can be safe, can be as safe as possible. And yes, the science is there. We know that children in that age group have the same, it's called immunobridging, right? So the endpoint of the trials around children um, were different in that we wanted to know if they produce the same antibody levels or antibody response. Does it have the same immunogenicity? that it does in the older age group, and it did. So from that, we can infer from the data that it would have the same level of efficacy. So the studies through that data interpretation said that the efficacy was roughly around 90.7. That's very good. Um, and that there were no, no serious medical events or reverse events and similar side effects that we saw um, for children in other vaccinations and actually less side effects than we saw in the, the um, some of the older age group of adolescents, not older people, but adolescents. Um, and so I felt very comfortable. I felt that the science was, was valid and I felt like it was the right thing to do. So as soon as I got an opportunity, I heard that children could be vaccinated, I said, bring Kaya in. She's going to get vaccinated tomorrow. And she got vaccinated. I put my baby out there on Twitter because I want the world to see. She came dressed in a, a blue navy sparkly dress with like gold glitter on it. She had her hair, you know, flat iron and curls. She, she told her mom, do it up. This is a big event. That 10 year old sensed that. I just, mm, you know, the, the points of frustration during this uh, thing that we're in and it's beyond a pandemic because I feel like it shows up in other areas it's not just the virus the mm -hmm, virus mm -hmm. to me is a symptom of a greater ill that is infecting oh, society yes, so I just, you know I, I, I which is why I'm not optimistic because it's, it's so much deeper than wearing a mask and getting vaccinated it's so much deeper than a pandemic but you know I'm grateful that there are people that we can at least trust I know um, where the heart is and you know, for all of the Tuskegee, you know, that's not this. Mm -hmm. She's not yeah. that. Dr. No. Kismekia Corbett, not that. You know, not like that. there are uh, so many uh, bright spots to point to, and you've been one of them. So I just want to thank you for always and even answer my paranoid calls and texts. I was like, I ain't trying to, because I wasn't trying to get it, y'all. I really was not trying to get the vaccine, but you, you, you walk me through it, and I'm still here, and I have no adverse effects, and... Uh, I probably don't need the booster, but I might get it uh, right before my conference in March, just to be safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I hope that we can have a place where we can all test freely, you know, like they should, they yes. should be yes. tests, yes. you know, because that, again, that's everything. Tests, 
just let's, let's be able to yes, spit it has something. to be a part of the strategy. Yeah. And I yeah. recommend it for those who are getting together for the holidays. If you're getting together with family, especially family traveling from multiple different households who are not vaccinated. First of all, I mean, that's a personal decision. And my family, we're not having a holiday celebration without everybody being vaccinated um, because my aunt still is high risk, right? She's 84. Um, but if you are going to have family members do things to lessen the risk, do tests, do rapid antigen test tests. You can test daily so that you can pick up any asymptomatic infection quicker than if you were to do a one stop and done. Um, open windows inside so, so you can clear out the air and filter the air. Um, wear masks until you need to take them off. So those are just things that people can do, um, especially if you have someone in your life who's high risk and is not vaccinated or not boosted. Think about um, having a higher level of protection for those persons. Uh, I love you for that. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris T. Purnell, Dr. Chris MD on yes. the Twitters. Uh, and of course, you'll be back. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.